All right, welcome back to Presidential Podcast. This is Philip. And this is Robert. And we're back on Jackson. We're talking about, we're just basically studying in his political career. Uh, he won the Battle of um, New Orleans, which cast him into the national spotlight. He did have a brief stint uh, when, the, when Tennessee was first formed, where he was in the House of Representatives for about uh, six months, maybe, and then as a senator for about an equal length of time. Then after the war uh, in the, against the Seminoles in Florida, he becomes military governor of Florida for a bit, and then he's back on the national stage. So talk about, can you set up his political uh, career? What's his aspirations? What are the, let's say, what are the parties like at the time? And where does he fit in? And what are his, so, so who are his backers? Jackson's career as a military leader is, is, is kind of uh, an interlude between his, his political elective offices. All right, selected, as you mentioned, U.S. representative at large in the Tennessee Territory uh, and state, uh, a member of the Senate. And I don't really think Jackson cared much for the Senate. Uh, then became a general and uh, became a territorial governor in Florida, set it up and governed a place for uh, a relatively short time. But again, uh, the, the, the governor of Florida. Now, the to the Constitution government. Okay. And the Democratic part meant that it was voted in and persisted through the will of the people. Okay. Okay? So... It was kind of a hybrid thing. And, of course, Jefferson is, is very famous in the world and very highly esteemed, even outside the United States, as a political theorist of participatory democratic government. Right. Now, the, now the, hang on. Part of the reason that, because some of that sounds like small government, which is popular among the Republicans now, but when we talk about what, what things that Je- Jefferson embodies that the Democrats take from him, it's really more separation of church and state type stuff. Well, and individual separation of church liberty. and state. Um, what, what really, I was just going to say, paradoxically, with his idea of uh, the diffusion of governmental power, Jefferson was a very strong executive, a very strong president. Uh, early in the first term, he took a number of very forceful executive actions. Uh, the best remembered one is the, the purchase of the Louisiana okay. Territory from the French. Sure. Uh, Increase the, the uh, territory of the United States by one third. Okay. Um, and, and, and other actions, you know. Uh, abolish the uh, IRS. He didn't abolish the IRS. I thought he abolished the IRS. No. Okay. I don't even think they had an IRB. I think we had a customs service. Okay, then. all right. Um, but, but Jefferson took a number of measures which uh, empowered the presidency. Uh, Jefferson was a, was a very paradoxical figure in a lot of ways. Uh, he, was, he appears to have been extremely shy. At, at least in his period of his presidency, he would he would rarely appear in public. Mm-hmm. Um, he sent the state of the state in written form to the Congress. 
and the clerk of the of the House, or the clerk of the Senate, or the Sergeant at Arms, somebody would actually read it. State of the Union. The State of the Union. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it wasn't until Wilson came into office and delivered it in person that it reverted back to the Washingtonian custom of the president reading it. Okay. Um, he mostly governed through surrogates, primarily Madison and Monroe. Okay. Um, he would he would meet them at the White House. They'd come in. They'd conference with him. Uh, he he had other other visitors who who came before and after them, and he would dictate these long letters to them. And these letters would then be promulgated to the various branches of the federal government and used to direct the government. So Jefferson just just I mean he like I said, dramatically increased the power of the federal executive. Okay. But in, uh, enacted it in a very odd manner. Okay. So Jefferson was the first of what we refer to as the Virginia dynasty. Okay. The three presidents, this is the longest period of one-party domination. Uh, the, the, the Democratic-Republican Party Presidents Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, each were elected and re-elected. So each served the full eight years, and they served in three successive terms. Um, there were no other parties. The Federalist Party died out uh, during uh, late in Jefferson's second term, early in, in Madison's first term. Okay. So the Congress essentially were all Democratic Republicans, and this led in Monroe's term into what we refer to as the era of good feelings. Okay. But there was only one big party, the Democratic Republicans. Everybody got along. Uh, the War of 1812 had been settled. Uh, the national debt was at a manageable level. We weren't fighting any Indians momentarily, and things were just hunky-dory. Um, this got broken up in the election of 1824 when uh, Jackson was. So who put who put Adams in as the guy? Nobody. Adams was a consensus concession. Pick. Adams was everybody's second choice. Clay was everybody's was the dynasty the dynasty's first. Clay choice. and Clay and and, and Jackson uh, were. All right, so Clay so was the dynasty's first choice. So, so Clay was a popular figure like Jackson, but Clay had better relationships with the Eastern elites and the bankers. Okay, now Monroe was done in when? He finished in twenty four. Yeah, his term ended in so, well in twenty five when. Okay, but twenty four is the the right. of his end term. He had no successor. Um, he didn't, he didn't have a, he was, he was the last of the, of the revolutionary generation to serve How, was he in the national he government. Yeah. You know, he was, he was seen as, as an old fashioned old guy. I mean, he still wore a dying breed, like, so to speak. Yeah. He still wore like knee socks and sh shoes with buckles on them. Uh, he wore a wig. You know, he was seen as the last of the 18th century uh, politicians. 
to serve at, at that level. And, and it there was like nobody else. Office. Well, Adams was the son of uh, a member yeah. of the Revolutionary. Uh, Clay was around, uh, well, he was a contemporary of, of Jackson's. He was from Kentucky. Wait, so in a way, Adams is the following the vein of the old guard, but it's like he's like the next generation, but he's not as potent as the old guard. Correct. And Clay is the new, the new guard that they kind of will accept, that, that the old elite will accept, but he's not them. And then Jackson is a, a totally different thing. So, so Clay was more like a, a regional candidate who was popular in the West, popular in the North, probably popular in the South. Probably Table. pretty well. Really hard to tell because he was always in the in the legislative branch, so it's really hard to tell if he would have been an effective executive. Um, was he a capable legislator? Yeah. Oh yeah, he was. I mean, he's he's very good at putting together uh, coalitions of legislators to pass legislation. He was speaker. Yeah. Who was and, the, who's the speaker of his stature? Tip O'Neill. No. Maybe Rayburn. Um, Rayburn, who was with LBJ, right? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the speaker's name during the Roosevelt, first Roosevelt term, because he passed a lot of legislation, but he didn't have the kind of staying power that Clay had. I mean, Clay had a 20-year career. Okay. And, I mean, Clay was the... Tribune of the business classes. Oh, he was? Yeah. What did he look like? Um, I always think of the cat in the hat. Yeah. When I think of Clay. Yeah. You know, stovepipe hat. He had a stovepipe hat? Without the, without the stripes. Yeah, he had a stovepipe hat. Oh, he had kind of a weak chin. Okay. Um, at certain points in life, he had side whiskers, but not all the way all the way through. And he had that kind of a funny face where he always, you know, you can never really tell what he was what his emotional state was. Clothes. Uh, Trench coats and stuff. He wore like pants and uh, back then they wore what they called cutaway coats, you know, which were longer than what we wear now, but were open in the front and then had kind of tails, tails. on them. But that's what Jackson wore too. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty much the style. Uh, he didn't wear like what Monroe wore, you know, of like pants that only came down to the bottom of his knees. But what about what did Adams wear? Probably similar. I mean, I don't think Adams had any particular uh, verve for style. Verve for style. Now, did Clay when he was wearing clothes? Was that maybe? Well, he went swimming in the, in the in Potomac, and they stole his clothes. Oh, okay. Did Clay? Um, did he style himself? How did he style himself? He was the champion of the West. So he was the new America, the face yes, of the new America. Yes, yeah. Uh, he, but he had a more nationalistic outlook. Okay. And and I mean they called it that. I mean they called it the national plan. Just before I had a bad and, connotation. And it, the United States is so big, and the sectionalism is so strong mm -hmm. that without a deliberate. Emphasis. affirmative uh -huh. sense of nationalism. We can't have a country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't have diversity without nationalism because there, there has to be a unifying 
identity or a unifying right. ideology, and that that's nationalism. It doesn't have to be militaristic. Right. You know, it can just be we're from sea to shining sea. We're all equal under the law. Right. We all should have a decent life's life. There shouldn't be slavery. Right. There shouldn't be persecution right. or oppression right. or repression. Right. You know, and, and, and Clay would have been very sympathetic to all those things. Was so Clay is has been speaker and he was in the he was part of he was part of the era of good feelings. Right. He did criticize Jackson when Jackson took Florida. And and you know, this created a lifelong animosity between them. Okay. Because Jackson felt he had support in the cabinet, not directly from the president, not from the legislature, but he had support in the cabinet. Um, a congressional commission later upheld him. And Clay and, and Jackson saw this, and I think Jackson saw this pretty accurately. Clay, for political purposes, campaigned against Jackson and vilified him. And 1820, Monroe ran again. Yeah, and it, he won easily. Yeah, who do you run against, dude? Remember no, I don't. I don't. And 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 to a large extent, we can we can look at Clay's vilification of Jackson and said that Clay put partisan politics, okay, above or personal partisanship, whatever, above the national interest. Okay, okay, but in yeah. criticizing Jackson's okay, actions but I in wanna, Florida. Fine, but I want to think about the overall uh, direction of the country. So the Virginia dynasty is coming to an end. Right. The era of good feelings is coming to an end. Right. Ushering us into the era of bad feelings. But the these guys, Madison, Monroe, I mean, Madison helped write the Constitution. Right. Jefferson, known for being a, a uh, you know, a studious type. They must have known, okay, we must, we're going to have a plan. I, it doesn't seem to me that they would just say, all right, well, Monroe's getting old, time to call this thing quits. What were they looking to do when all of a sudden the, the, the dynamic changed in 1824? Well, did they know it was I, an inflection I think, I, think, I think Adams and Jefferson died right around then. On the 50th year anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, I thought. All right, so maybe two years afterwards. Okay. So they clearly saw the end of the revolutionary generation. Um, definitely it was an inflection point. Uh, probably the more conservative wing, like the Rutledges, the Marshals, who was the uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, the Pinckneys, people like that, if Burr had still been in good odor, Burr, Hamilton, probably saw we're at a dangerous point because the country's getting too big to operate from the seacoast. We're facing the sort of situation that the British face that our communication systems, our, uh, our ability to project the authority of the government is being outstripped by the rapid advance, by yeah. the rapid territorial advance of the country. Right. So, but there's no railroad yet. 
Well, this was just when this was all beginning. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, this was a, a period of great uh, technological ferment, mm-hmm. great technological innovation. You know, they invented the balloon method of construction housing where they would put up a frame and then put up the outside wall and the inside walls around it. Mm-hmm. Um, they invented like a, a way of mass producing nails. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started making uh, clothing in factories so that you could buy off the rack suits. You didn't have to go to a tailor and have it personally they, made. They for made you. the sizes small, medium, large for the Civil War. That was where they really industrialized it. But still, I mean, they—I mean, they had numbers, you know, eight, ten, okay. twelve, like that. Um, more like shoe sizes okay. than like suit sizes. But uh, I mean, this was really when they st- the the Colt factories were starting up, where they were manufacturing guns mm-hmm. based on industrial processes, a lot of to mass produce, interlocking, interchangeable pieces. You interchangeable know, so parts, you could right. you could take. Sure three guns and take them apart and put them back together using pieces for each one. And they go back together. Right. So, so there was a lot going on and clay was really interested in technology and liked it. Jackson was interested in it as, as uh, a military leader and as a, who saw himself as a, a, a political leader interested in progress. But Jackson was also worried about maintaining a status quo of uh, friendly towards slavery, friendly towards continued expansion, friendly towards uh, settling and, and bringing areas that the Indians had controlled under, under white control. All right, but talk about where his uh, negative feelings, because I imagine Clay didn't, didn't share his negative animosity towards the aristocratic, well, that's, I mean, there's not really an aristocratic class, but what America has for their version of aristocratic class. Where does, when does Jackson develop these negative feelings? And, and well, I think he developed it right from the get-go. Okay. I mean, right from being in a frontier society where egalitarianism is practiced. Uh-huh. By at necessity, least, basically. At least among the whites. By you necessity, know, basically. Yeah, I mean, they would have looked at the Indians as hostile. Right. Not even as as, as neutral. Right. Um, they looked at slaves as probably some form of livestock, if not of chattel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the idea the woman was there to serve the man, mm-hmm. to breed children, etc., and so on like that. So it was egalitarianism, but in a very restricted sense okay. among among the, the the white males, okay, the adult white males. So and again, it was of necessity. You know, they needed the, they needed to support each other. Uh, they were all ambitious for each other. They all wanted to prosper, and they all saw this is a way we can prosper. You know, we can own property. We can have lots of kids. We can be big wheels in our communities. And we can, you know, undertake these military adventures and these other things uh, together, support each other, and we raise all the boats. Right. And the rising tide raises all the boats. So, so Jackson's was a lot more like a classical type Roman 
or, or Germanic migrations type of society. No, plebeian. Plebeian, okay. But, um, you know, back before anything like industrialization was even thought of. Okay. You know, still everything was muscle-powered, wind-powered, or water current-powered. Okay. You know, so slavery still was uh, an economic necessity, even though it has huge economic drawbacks and basically crushes innovation. Lighting is coming in at this time or a little later? The, the, the whaling industry was taking off. So the, the, the sperm whale oil and the other oils uh, created from the fats of the whales, from the blubber of the whales, uh, was a huge industry because uh, it, it created a smokeless uh, illumination that was very bright. Uh, it burned brighter it than almost anything it? else they could burn. Oh, I mean, animal fats got to smell terrible, but um, it, it was it didn't create a lot of smoke, and it burned very How bright. It wasn't super hot. How far are they from electric lighting? Oh, 50 years. So that's World War, I mean, that's Civil War. No, that's Civil after War. Civil War. That's like more like 1890s, something like that. Okay. So they are past candle power, but they're not too, um, they're, they're like gaslighting. They're gas like, they're like uh, yeah, yeah, you know, these, these like Coleman type lanterns. Okay. Um, all right. So um, bring us up to speed then on this, on the election. You have the factions forming. What's the, what's the result? Was it a surprise to people? So Clay would have been the favorite. And Clay would have been expected to win. And Crawford might have drawn off enough of the votes from him. Adams Crawford might have drawn. Georgia. Right. right. Adams might, you know, probably Crawford would probably be the one who drew off the votes from Clay. You know, Adams, had he not been in it, his votes probably would have gone to Clay. But it's now, hard, why couldn't Adams it's hard to see Adams not being in it. If Adams is from the Northeast and he's the most, um, and that's the most populous region, why wouldn't he just win right off? Because it was only about a quarter of the population. I mean, the United States had expanded significantly okay. beyond the areas. And, and Pennsylvania probably wasn't that strong for Adams. Okay. Uh, Ohio? Ohio probably would have gone clay. Uh, but again, they could split the electoral college votes. I mean, they actually elected electors. Oh, it wasn't like... Um... So, no, they did not have a, have a block rule. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, talk about the. Do you want to talk about the corrupt bargain? So, well, I, I you know I always find it hard to, to accept it as the corrupt bargain. I mean, the, the the the. Can I read the map to you real quick? Sure. All right. So the map is um, Crawford uh, running. All right, Quincy Crawford Jackson. Clay, right? Mm-hmm. Popular vote numbers, Jackson wins. Mm-hmm. 150,000. Um, Quincy is second in popular vote, 113,000. Then we have Clay, 47,000, and Crawford, 40,000. If you look at the map... So Clay was pretty well defeated in the popular like vote. It. But he got... Yeah, and he got... 
Oh, and actually, Jackson is ahead. Of, Jackson is also ahead of the. Um, yeah, but he didn't have a majority. So here it is. We have. Uh, you can see that it looks like um, Ohio goes yellow, which is clay, and so does Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana all go Jackson, along with. Um, what is that, Illinois? Illinois. Illinois and uh, what's this, Iowa? Missouri. Okay, Missouri. And then um, Crawford gets Georgia and Virginia? Yep. And then um, looks like the Northeast basically goes for um, goes for Quincy. Uh, Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams. Okay. So... Talk about the. Um, so, how many votes was Jackson short of electoral college? Well, Jackson got ninety nine votes. How many did he need? There's a hundred and he needed a lot more than that because there's about eight. There's eighty eight between Clay and Crawford, and there's another eighty four for Quincy. All right, so he wasn't even close. But he he was the leading vote getter. So, you know. This 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 was one of the aspects of the articles of any care the most states of Article One of the Constitution that they anticipated that in a in a sexually divided country with slow communications there would be frequent instances in which the Electoral College was unable to to produce a decision and name the president. And that the House of Representatives would decide it based on a unit rule where each state got one vote. Right. And the state delegations would decide, you know, who got their vote. And uh, were people surprised that Jackson's uh, voters came out like gangbusters? Did he campaign? They didn't campaign back then. It wasn't the nowadays style of campaign. And they didn't have polling back then. They didn't have the statistical ability to predict the sort of inferences. I mean, they didn't, they didn't know about the central limits theorem. I don't think that came out until like the late 1860s or the 1870s. So they, you know, basically Jackson got the most votes. They were, they were accustomed to political processes that require two-thirds majorities to pass major legislation or to elect people. Okay, explain now the corrupt thing. So, they, they went into negotiations in the, in the House. Clay This was, is the only time the House has had to pick a president. Yeah. Clay was the Speaker of the House. And well, that helps anticipated that as a Speaker of the House, he should win. And he was frustrated by the unwillingness of the Jacksonian delegations to give him the, their votes yeah. and, and place him in the presidency. And he negotiated because he didn't want Jackson to become the president. Mm-hmm. And he negotiated with them and uh, found that the Adams states delegations were willing to uh, 
stay with their with their man, but they would allot Clay a certain amount of patronage in the government, and they made commitments to certain legislation, uh, especially with regard to the national plan that was favorable to the states that Clay controlled. It's interesting that Clay wasn't in, like Clay didn't say president or bust. I mean, he wasn't in perfect position to do it because he did come in as the third vote bidder. And Clay wanted personal compensation. No, position. He has to be secretary of state. You know, an office that. But was he? He was not suited for. Was he pushing for his agenda, or was he pushing to keep Jackson out by this point? Both. Uh, he must have really personally disliked Jackson. Well, you know, one of Jackson's deepest regrets in life, which he expressed in old age, was never having shot Henry Clay. Right, okay. So I'm sure the feeling was pretty mutual. Right, sure, sure. All right, you well, know. let's end on that note. We'll get to how Jackson ends up barnstorming uh, the presidency. In, in any case, the Krupp bargain was, was called that because it was political horse trading. Clay got to be Secretary of State. And he made the statement at the end of it, I would rather be right than be president. Mm-hmm. You know, that he put principle, put the idea that the Congress should order should decide the president in an orderly fashion mm-hmm. over him being president. And the Jacksonian forces responded by... He just took a payoff. He becomes Secretary of State, so he gives his votes to Adams, yeah. which is a complete misnomer of the idea of corruption. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, on that note, uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Philip, and I'm Robert. And thanks for listening. It was a pleasure being getting back to this, and we'll uh, be putting up more episodes in regular fashion. You have a good day.